This episode is brought to you by Bumble. So you want to find someone you're compatible with, specifically someone who's ready for a serious connection, totally open to having kids in the future, is a tall rock climbing Libra, and loves rom-coms with vegan pizzas on Tuesdays just as much as you do. Bumble knows that you know exactly what's right for you. So whatever it is you're looking for, Bumble's features can help you find it. Date now on Bumble. Please note there are some very emotional scenes within this podcast that may not be suitable for everyone. Hello and welcome to How Did We Get Here, the podcast where me, Claudia Winkleman, and the brilliant Professor Tanya Byron address family issues faced by real people when Tanya has a special one-to-one session with them. In each episode, we get the privilege of listening in. I make notes from another room and occasionally ask Tan about her process. This time we meet Joanna, who was married in 1994 and in 2003 discovered that her husband wanted to transition. She came to talk about the difficulties that her, her two children faced and how she and Helen overcame it to stay married throughout the transition. Joanna calls Helen her soulmate and is incredibly proud of what they've been through. As the conversation went on, Joanna asked for advice on how to potentially fulfil all aspects of their marriage, parts of which seem to conflict with her own traditional upbringing. Would it be possible for Helen and I to move from having a tender relationship where we have a hug and a kiss to having something more intimate? What you're about to hear are the key parts of a one-time, unscripted session with a real person. We follow up with our guests after the recording, passing on helpful contacts, some of which you will be able to find in the programme notes of this episode. So let's go and meet Joanna. Hello. Hello. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. So lovely to meet you. Nice to meet you too. I'm Claudia. Yeah, I'm Joanna. Thank you so much for coming in. That's good. Uh, Tell me why you're here. So I'm here to talk through some of the difficulties that I had when my husband transitioned. Well, it became clear that my husband needed to transition to becoming a woman. So um, we were married in 94 and in less than 10 years, it became clear that they could no longer stay male. Um, and it was a... I mean, I see this, say this now, it sounds very simple, but at the time... I bet it wasn't. <laughs> at the time, it was not very simple at all. So, um, and it was a real challenge. How did you both get through it? Because it must have been so difficult for her too. Initially, I had real struggles. I struggled and struggled and struggled and thought, I have to make a big decision. I have to, should we just stay together? Shouldn't we stay together? And what really changed was when I realised I don't need to make a life decision. Ah. I actually only need to know, can I cope with this today? And so once I had realised that, that released a lot and it made it a lot easier for me. Um, so some people would see that as putting off a decision, but actually it, it worked for me. So, yes, I think it's a positive um, choice, it is, isn't it? Yeah, no, it is, yeah. You have children, don't yes, you? Yes, yes. So at the time they were about three and seven sort of age and we were having an extension. <laughs> you were dealing with a lot. I was. Two yeah. young kids, builders in, dust everywhere. Yes. And they turn around and go, I don't feel right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was scary because I thought it was going to be the end and I come from quite a religious background. I'm not religious now, but at the time, for me, yeah. it was a lifelong commitment. And obviously I had the kids to think about. And the, uh, for a long time, we didn't know whether we would stay together. Can I ask if Helen knows that you're here today? She does know that I'm here. And yeah. she's OK with that? She is, yeah. yeah. This is a contentious issue. 
which I imagine you and Helen have had to deal with Mm -hmm. and must have made it even more difficult. Most people have no idea what it what it means. I had people say, "Oh, you shouldn't stay. You shouldn't. You, you need to get out because of the children." That must have made you so angry. You you worry. Am I making the right decision? Am I, have I got it right? And actually, I know now that actually the most important thing was that we were seen by the children to be together, and that they didn't feel ashamed of Helen. And I think have we been rowing? That's yes. what's destructive in a relationship for children. And how are you and Helen now? I feel that we are soulmates. I feel that we. Uh, a, a couple, you know, we might not be particularly com- conventional in yeah. the way other people are couples. I'm in a, effectively a gay relationship, but I'm not gay. So that adds things into the mix. I think, you know, we work well together. We're a good team. I'm proud of my kids and how well adjusted they are who are now in their 20s. And I'm, I'm proud of what we've achieved between us. So. Basically, what you're saying to me is you're here to process or to discuss the change your family went through. Yeah, I think so. And to maybe put out there that there is hope for people. Yeah. Did it change overnight? No. Did you? No, it was slow. It's slow, very slow. And so to begin with, I could hardly look at Helen when she dressed as Helen. But, you know, gradually you get used to it and then it becomes familiar and then you realise she's changing and she's becoming more herself. And then actually she's easier to live with, you know, because you're not uptight trying to be something she's not. Well, thank you so much for coming here and talking about this subject. And Professor yeah. Tanya Byron's going to come in. Okay. And then I'll talk to you at the end. Is that all right? Yeah. Hello, nice Tanya. You. Nice to see you. It's so good to meet you. And you have such an important story to tell, don't you? I think so. I suppose the point of what we're trying to do and the question that we're asking, because it's the name of the podcast, is how did we get here? Okay. And I guess, in a sense, that would be where I would want to ask you quite a few questions. Okay. But I just want to know that you're comfortable with that. I'm always very comfortable with people asking questions, what they want to ask. I'm not upset if people get confused with pronouns or anything like that. It's a, I know that people don't always get it right and people find it difficult. So you've given me permission? Yes, I'm giving you permission. Good. I was just listening to you talk to Claude and, you know, obviously the the key word is transition and that would have been a huge journey for Helen. But I suppose when I was listening to you and Claude talk, I was thinking you also had to transition. I did, yeah. Yeah, in a a different way, but also in parallel to a degree because something about your identity as as a woman, as as a wife... That will have had to shift, and I was just curious about that for you. It's clear now, looking back, that a lot of my identity as a female and being and feminine came from being loved by a man, so that threatened that, and I found that very hard to accept. And I can remember feeling that sense of loneliness and insecurity and... Also, that, that sort of judgment, why why should I only feel happy in myself because of somebody else in my life? You know, I should learn to be happy. In, I recognised it as a fault, if you like. So you're um, saying as a woman, I don't need to be validated in I, a relationship with yeah, a male. Yeah, I felt that being married to a man was validating my femininity. Understood, yeah. And that was being whipped away from underneath my feet. Yes. Um, even though Helen is the same person as she was, and I, I was trying to get my head around this, it's the same person, it's the same person, but it felt so different. And it was a grieving process. I was, I was going say. to ask you that because um, without it feeling judgmental or critical of Helen and her decision, you lost a lot and you had to compromise significantly yes. in order 
for Helen to gain. So her gain, to some degree, was your loss, I suspect. I'm reading back through, I've found my diary from 2003, so reading back through that, I can see how, you know, there's talk about us being cross with the children and not coping with them and drinking a lot. There were times when we hardly communicated because it was that hard. How painful Um, did it get for you? As close as you can get to a breakdown without, I don't suppose I did have a breakdown, but I was close yeah. and I held things together. I stopped all the responsibilities that I had other than maintaining the family and keeping the family together. Right. I did crazy things like putting saucepans away in the fridge and people would ring me up and say, weren't we getting together, Joanna, for coffee? And I wouldn't suddenly think, oh, I forgot. I would think, I have no memory of that discussion. Right. You know? And that was, I suppose, the level of stress. Right, this might sound like a weird question. Putting pans in the fridge, what is that indicative of? Because when Joanna mentioned it, I felt, not that I can see you because I'm cordoned off in a different room, I sort of felt you nod, like, oh yeah, I get that. So she was describing a time of acute stress, which makes a huge amount of sense. Her world was being turned upside down. She had significant decisions to make about her life, her relationship, her children, their future and her faith. I mean, you know, there was obviously a huge amount. And when everything hits you like a tsunami, it's like being in a major accident. People just suddenly find that everything shuts down, memory shuts down, sort of awareness of anything just stops because it's almost like the brain is going, oh, hold on a second, hold on a second. mentioned memory loss, but but I just wanted to mention it because... You both, I don't mean it in a bad way, but you carried on. You sort of went, oh, is it almost like you're in a state of emergency? In a state of emergency, almost in a state of shock. When there is so much to process, everything has to stop for a while as things are put in a sort of orderly queue and we start to work out, right, what do we address first? And given the immense task ahead of her, it was almost like she had to sort of shut down, almost in herself, regroup, And then she could try very slowly, one day at a time, to begin to process what she faced and make decisions in the way that she did. So it's very common that in those early days of such a huge amount of new information and decisions that have to be made that are massively life-impacting, people will literally say, I couldn't function. I couldn't remember anything. It's almost like your brain doesn't have the space. That's right. All she knew she had to do was get up, feed her kids, get them to school and just keep that bit of life ticking over, which she did. Anything else, including where she puts the pans, forget it. That If she managed to get it in the right cupboard, well done. If it was in the fridge, well, at least she kept them in the kitchen kind of thing. Okay, thanks, Tom. Let's go back to the session. At the point at which you realised a decision had to be made, that must have been just so challenging for you. There was a part of you that, as you searching around for someone or something else to tell you what the right answer was, you yourself must have kind of almost shut down, going, I, I don't know what yeah. to do, I can't do this. I did shut down. There's also no one knew when we first when it first came out. I was it was just me and Ellen. You couldn't even talk to a friend? Uh, initially not. That must have and been I've, so hard. Helen didn't want it to get out. 
which you can understand because she was dressing in those days in secret and no one knew. That, I think, was the hardest time. And then we told some very specific people and then I probably spoke to them loads because <laughs> I had three people or something now. Yeah, that must have been really difficult. Why did you describe yourself as a failure? I heard you okay, say, you say yeah. that to Claude. That's a harsh term. Yeah. I thought, I cannot even find a husband who wants to be a man. You're that useless, Joanna. And, of course, at the time you couldn't speak to anyone, so you're dealing yeah. with all this on your own. It's you and your diary. How have you processed that? Because... I find you extraordinary just based on sitting here. Yeah. I can see the tears shining in your eyes. I can see the memories. How did you do it, do you think? Because that's certainly not failure. Realising that God doesn't exist and that the things that I did achieve and things like when my son was born, he was very poorly. And at the time I thought I got through that because God helped me. And actually, realising God wasn't there made me realise, actually, I didn't get through that because God helped me. I got through that because I was strong enough to get through it. And so I suppose that helped change what I feel about myself. I'm not just who I am because there was somebody there saying, you know, supporting me and making sure it was OK. Actually, it was inside me and it was there all the time. Yes, it's interesting, isn't it? So you're saying you were always looking for external validation. Was, yeah. So something about this process has helped you validate yourself internally and recognise you for you, not necessarily you with other kind of external factors having yeah. to sit around and you. I think, yes, and I think that's what had to happen. I had to become happy with who I am and proud of who I am. One of the things you mentioned previously was this idea of loss. Yes. Where are the losses? Because there must have been some losses. I mean, the, you will have had to adjust yourself and life I had an ideal, a plan A, you know, which was my nice, you know, marriage. And I think that I had to know that I was giving that up. And the other thing, um, while I chose to stay with Helen, I knew I was also choosing not to have a um, a male relationship that I craved, if you sort of mean. Um, you mean from an intimacy point of view? Yes. Sexually or just... Sexually, yeah. Right, I yeah. knew every time I stayed... With, every moment I decided to stay with Helen, I was deciding not to have a, a, a sexually fulfilling yeah, life, if you like, from that point of view. And that was definitely a loss. And it was a choice. Um, there was a time when I thought maybe I could I get a jigger or something, but... <laughs> I could never do that. It's all about relationship for me, that kind of thing. So um, it, you, It's all tied up. Yes, yeah, yeah. yeah. How do you cope with that? I mean, you know, you're not an old woman by any stretch of the imagination. You're in your early 50s. How do you sustain that? Probably by not trying to think about it too much. Okay, yeah. Um, and just saying what we have is good and concentrating on the good stuff. Um, so you're comfortable with that? It was never my first choice, but I am I am in a place of comfort with that. Um, I mean, there are still times when I think, what if I could never like have an affair or sexual affair just for sex? I just it would ruin everything, all the good things that we have, and that is worth so much more to me. But again, you've thought it through and yeah. you recognise it's a choice you've had to make and a loss you've yeah. you've, you've had to weather yeah. really. Yeah, it is. In terms of the sort of transphobia that is also out there. Yeah. How, how 
how much of that have you had to deal with? Because there are people with incredibly strong opinions that are expressed in ways that can be incredibly painful to to hear. There's a lot of anger out there. People just need to accept she is who she is. She can't she didn't choose it. As we're talking, I'm just thinking, do partners get the same level of support as the people that are transitioning? No, I, there's no support for partners. I had to find support. I, I had friends that I could speak to. And then the other sort of person that I would meet is somebody who says, yes, it's going to be fine. I don't know what you're worrying about. It's going to be fine. Don't worry about it. And I'm like, I don't want it to be fine. I've just put the saucepans um, in the fridge for goodness yeah, sake. Yeah, <laughs> it's not yeah, fine. Absolutely. And I would quite like her to stop transitioning. Thank you. I don't, because at this point, we don't know where she's going to end up on this journey. Is she just going to sometimes be female? Is she always going to be female? And I wanted it to stop. She's so lucky to have you. She is lucky to have me. <laughs> you, you're laughing, so but you do agree with me, right? I do agree with you. I think, no, we've done well and I've done well. And I'm proud, as I say, I am now a proud adult who knows that I have achieved something. If I do nothing else in this life, I know that I've done a good thing. If I was with somebody now who had just discovered that their partner needed to change gender, I wouldn't be saying, oh, it will be fine. I would be saying, it is really hard and I hear your pain. I see your pain and it's a path you're going to have to work out. Not everybody can manage to stay together. And that is fine. That's not a problem. You know, that's, you know. You need to run the partner group. (laughs) Yeah, maybe I do. Because you're the person you wanted to meet back then. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, maybe I do. We're going to take a break in a minute. And for the second part of our chat, is there anything that you think, this is something I need to understand better I just want to be able to offer you something of what I know. Okay. What's the face for? No, that's, yeah, I, 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 the faces are like, am I going to really want to do this? <laughs> Why? Have I, I don't want to put you in a difficult position. No. Absolutely don't want to put you in a difficult position. No. Um... As in, am I going to really want to do this because there is something I could ask, but I'm not yes. sure whether I want to. Yes. Okay. Well, you have generously come here. You've shared your story so far. So we're going to take a break. Maybe you can reflect on it. And it gives you a chance to think about what we talked about. Obviously, I want to think about it. And I'm going to get someone to make you a cup of tea. And we'll meet again in 15 or 20 minutes or so. Thank you. Okay, thank you. There's a lot happening these days. But I have just the thing to get you up to speed on what matters, without taking too much of your time. The 7 from the Washington Post is a podcast that gives you the 7 most important and interesting stories, and we always try to save room for something fun. You get it all in about 7 minutes or less. I'm Hannah Jewell. I'll get you caught up with The 7 every weekday. So follow The 7 right now. Little Wing is now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. I'm in a period of emotional people. Is that all the, oh, I don't care crap? A little adventure. Where are you going? I'm going to steal a bird from the Russian pigeon mafia. Let's do it. Goes a long way. <laughs> Starring Brooklyn Prince with Kelly Riley and Brian Cox. Life can hurt, but life is sweet. Little Wing, rated PG-13, may be inappropriate for children under 13. Now streaming exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. 
Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Uh, we've been doing this podcast for a while now. And I think it's safe to say lots of people come in, they might have a question and it might not be the question that's, that they necessarily need answered. As a clinician, is it quite lovely to be with somebody? I think we both have enormous respect for Joanna, who's almost come at the end of the story. What a brilliant job she's done. I was presented with something that I don't often get presented with in my job, which is somebody who has come to tell me about the crisis that they were in and how they navigated their way through it and how the ending has worked really well for them and those that they love. My job is often at the crisis moment. And when I first met her, just as she was arriving, she was sitting down and I said, why are you here? And she she did mention hope. She said, because it was dark, but I want to give people hope. And she said, when people would have come up to her saying, you know what, you're going to be fine. In the end, you're going to be fine. She was like, what? So I think it will be lovely for people to hear whatever they're going through, just that change can be okay. What struck me about Joanna, as she repeated her story, I felt her confidence grow. Yes, and it was also interesting in terms of the idea of validation, wasn't it? The way yes. It, did you pick up on that? External and internal. Yeah, so she was sort of saying... I felt, you know, I was asking about loss and interestingly it took us into a conversation about gain because she was sort of talking about the fact that previously she had relied on, as a woman, her femininity being validated by being married to a man and then she talked about her, you know, about religion and her relationship with God and how that for her was an enormous validation and I think you know, losing both of those things has been challenging and in some ways is probably still quite challenging, but it's also given her a lot. Now, this is something we see a lot in mental health services. So, for example, in eating disorders and people who struggle with disordered eating, you often get this kind of refrain, this constant refrain, which is, but if I lose X number of kilos... Then I'll feel good. Or, or And I'll, yeah, and I'll be a better person. And, of course, that is never going to be the case, so the weight loss will never stop. Of course. And also, that's just setting yourself up for failure. If I don't get this job, if I don't get to this university, if I don't wear that wedding dress. Yeah, and the number yeah. of young people who are having plastic surgery and, and things like that. And, and look, everybody has a right to make a choice. I'm not criticising that. But I, I do wonder, where does that place you in terms of your own personal development? Because if you're thinking that having a more pouty mouth is going to make you more successful and more desirable and more respected, I think that is possibly going to leave a lot of people very disappointed. Yeah. Just get some white lipstick. That's, That's what, what you say. do. Of course. Does it work? Tipex. Every time. <laughs> Lots of respect for you. <clears throat> Thank you. I'll get Joanna. So what was it you felt would be helpful for us to talk about? So I suppose what I would like to explore is, would it be possible for Helen and I to move from having a tender relationship where we have a hug and a kiss to having something more intimate? 
that I could feel comfortable with? And why don't I feel comfortable with it? Is it because I have religious hang-ups, even though I no longer believe in God? And is that something that could possibly change, I suppose? I suppose Um, my first question is, do you want it to change? I would like to think that, I mean, we're in our mid-50s. We could live another 30 years, maybe another 40, 50 years. (laughs) I don't know, you know. If it's possible for it to change, it would be nice to think that we don't waste the rest of those years not having any intimacy, sexual sexual intimacy. And is Helen in the same place? So Helen is um, a lesbian, so she's attracted to women. She used to be attracted to me, so I presume she still could be or would be. We've not talked about it at all. So I don't know if she's in the same place. But I suppose I don't really want to broach broach the subject if it's then something which we start and then think, I think, actually, this is just impossible. It makes you anxious, doesn't it? Which is the com- the thought of a conversation makes you anxious. Yeah, it does. And I understand that, but I'm also curious about it because when I think about the many conversations you had during the process of transitioning, yeah. I'm curious why this conversation feels more scary than that conversation because that would have been a hefty set of conversations. <sighs> Don't talk about sex. And that's I'm your not, is that I'm, your background? What was how were you sort of raised? I mean, was it? Yeah, just... I, I, yeah, I don't think we ever talked about sex. Um, and how did you raise your kids when it came to sex? I think I mean more open right. with them. Yeah, I've talked about sexual relationships and talked about. So you can talk about sex. Yes, not about sex as it relates to you because you mm. were never given that. Yeah, probably. sort of. You were never given permission to do that, but your children will be able to talk about sex because you've encouraged them to talk I hope about. They would, yeah, yeah. Okay, so um, what can, what can we establish? We can establish that you have the capacity to deal with life challenging situations and find your way through it through conversation, through sheer will, through determination, through everything that you've managed to do. So we yeah. know you can do that. Yeah. We know you can talk about sex because you can talk to your kids about sex, help yeah. answer their questions, whatever they need. You're there as their mother and you've got a good relationship with your children because they can come to you and ask you questions. Yeah. Okay. So we've got two really important kind of skills there. Okay, yeah. So it's something else, isn't it? It's almost like it's an elephant in the room. Is it a fear that you might be told that you're not desirable anymore? What is the what is the outcome that you may fear? So it might be partly that. Um, I suspect that it's more that I would fear that I might be homosexual. Do you know what I mean? I could be that I don't know I don't do you know what I mean yes having spent my whole entire life saying I'm not yes I don't know that, that seems a crazy thing to say not in my head I know it's a crazy thing to say but I think it's our generation as well where you know we still assign labels it's interesting to look at our kids generation the young people now are sort of moving on from that and almost yeah. saying we don't really need to name and so, label yeah I grew up with a very binary view you're either homosexual or you're um heterosexual and now I feel it could be that we could we could have something intimate because it doesn't have to be like that although I'm stuck in that it's like this 100% of course Um, because you're stuck because of how you you were socialized so that then we think about well what needs to help you become unstuck so that you can have a much more fluid conversation because certainly what I heard you say to me earlier is 
I love Helen because Helen is the person that I married. Yes. Right? Okay. When I married Helen, Helen wasn't called Helen. Helen identified as a male and we married as man and wife and yada, yada, yada. But actually, I think part of your journey, part of the story you were telling me earlier is... I'm still here because we are soulmates. We always were soulmates and that hasn't changed. That is correct. Right. Given the fact that the marriage continues because you are still the same people who fell in love with each other, then how does that affect the intimacy? Because you're still the same people that fell in love with each other. I suppose there were two things happened. Obviously, our relationship broke down for a while and we were living together, but we weren't really together. We were living together. Um, but that's... I, I could, but that was... You that, have to break down to rebuild, don't you? So, I mean, yeah, that's part so, of change. Um, so there was a time when we didn't even... Well, I, I got a letter from her. She says, you don't even touch me. You can't even... You're you're, you're repulsed by me, which was true. She, she was right, I was. And you were in shock. Um, yeah. I guess there was a time when we didn't have any. And then there was a time when we kind of realized we were staying together and so we did get a bit more intimate but I just couldn't go through with anything more than just kissing and hugging really yeah I just ended up crying and I don't know why I cried but I just cried um, well, I mean and so we stopped but and I and I can't really I don't know why but that's how it was um but this was a few years ago yeah right? yeah, yeah. So, it must be more than 10 years ago right so I mean it's very different times then I mean there was so much that you were processing and there at that time I think whereas now when we have the conversation that we had earlier you can identify the gains in terms of yourself actualization as a woman your self-confidence your self-belief you you were not there yet you were somewhere else yeah, and where you were then it was about loss and so sex would obviously be different for obvious reasons due to surgery and transitioning and all of those things so you were crying because you were aware of what was different and at that time the difference felt painful yeah that I would say has probably shifted. The problem you've got is you're just stuck. Yeah. Right. If we just take this away from you and Helen and if we just talk about sexual intimacy problems in any couple. Yeah. In a relationship, you know, sex is great, sex is not so great, sex is non-existent, sex comes back with a vengeance. I mean, that's normal. Yeah. Right? We're both women at a certain time of our life and there are also other changes going on. I mean, you know, Everything impacts on libido, desire, etc. So yeah. you're not unusual in that sense, okay. as, as any woman of our age would be. Yeah. I want you to know that I do work with a number of couples in their 50s, in their 60s, who, and actually younger as well, but who come saying, we love each other. Sex used to be really great. It's now so uncomfortable, we don't know what to do part of my job as a clinician would be to sort of unpack that and say well has anything happened etc and obviously you've got a big story there but then it's about also recognizing that when you get out of the rhythm of something it's really difficult just to jump back in and go okay come on let's do it tonight candles a bit of you know, a bit of nice underwear, you know, a mm. couple of oysters. Hey ho, let's go. It doesn't work like that. No. So there is a really interesting program. It's called the Sensate Focus program. And it's designed for couples who have hit a kind of sexual desert. Mm. 
Mm-hmm. And it basically starts with the premise of if you are trying to get in to where you were before mm. and it's infused with anxiety and a bit of panic and a bit of we've got to do this and yeah. it's going to fail before you've started because anxiety and intimacy do not work well together. Sure. So Sense8 Focus says start from the beginning. Okay. Date, flirt, hold hands. But as a therapist, you'd set very clear parameters around that. So you'd literally imagine it like a ladder where Mm -hmm. the top rung is intimacy at a level that both partners are really happy with. Mm -hmm. And we recognise we're at the bottom of the ladder. Ain't nothing happening here. Mm -hmm. And we define each rung of that ladder. But we are really clear that you don't go to the next rung until a certain period of time has elapsed. Okay. Because what you want to do, it's a bit like recreating what it used to feel like when you were snogging on the sofa downstairs when your parents were upstairs sleeping mm-hmm. and you were desperate for more but you couldn't have it. Yeah. So rather than the anxiety of we have to just do it, you start off from a from the from the beginning where you keep it at a certain level for so long that you're then gagging to move on. Okay. So desire replaces anxiety. Okay. Just to be very clear, it would start with flirting, talking, holding hands. It Then you could do more caressing, but over clothes. Mm. As far as genitals go, I mean, they are right somewhere at the top of that ladder. Yeah. Okay. What we see in the sex therapy world is, right, you know, I feel lubricated, you've got an erection or we've both got an erection or we're both lubricated, come on, let's do it now. Yeah. I mean, literally, go and have a cup of tea, that's going to be more pleasurable. It's just not going to work. Yeah. So I think you're getting bound up with an idea of we've got to have intimacy, am I so hung up, da-da-da-da, rather than accepting that the transition that you and Helen have managed so well in so many areas of your life, you've forgotten... The intimacy has to transition too, and that means you've got to start again. Yeah. What does that sound like to you? Yeah, that that sounds very plausible. I guess I've thought something similar. I guess I don't know how to broach it. (laughs) Right, well, let's talk about that, because I suppose what I would say to you is you might want to start by asking Helen how did she broach her big conversation with you? Because she has had to face having very difficult discussions with you about things that could have led you to reject her. Yes. Before we talk about whatever the elephant in the room is, we just need to think about how do we talk about these difficult things? She can help you both with that because she had to do it. Yeah. Together, you can support you to get to the point where you say... Can we talk about this? Yeah. We've got a practical approach. The next bit of this is is a different question you're asking, which is you're saying, even though you're not homophobic, you clearly are not a homophobic person, you're saying, do I have some internalised homophobia about me? Yes. Okay. (laughs) What worries you? I genuinely think I am scared of enjoying it with Mm. a female. That's so honest. I don't know why. Is it just that that's how heterosexual people feel? 
Or was it because I could change and I could move away from that? Am I stuck in that place forever? Is that because of who I am? You know, I dream about, I still dream about having sex with men, you know, when I'm asleep, you know. Uh Does that where I have to stay? Or is it possible to move across and say, I can enjoy this and I can be um, allowed to enjoy it? Yeah, but you obviously you won't know till you try. And there are also lots of other ways to have sexual pleasure. There are sex toys. There are various things that can also, you can both use that can for you replace some of what you've lost in terms of penetration and stuff like that yeah which is again another conversation which you might say oh that feels really icky but it's an empowered conversation between two adults making a very private choice that's no one else's business and it's up to you two but putting that to one side for a minute this idea of enjoying yourself what's wrong with enjoying it is it like i've lied because i've said all my life that i'm heterosexual as we said, the word transition runs through so many strands of this, not just Helen's yeah, journey. Choosing something different. And who did you lie to? I mean, what did you do? Sort of walk out one day with a sandwich board going, hello world, I'm heterosexual. <laughs> and I, you know, who have you lied to? Yourself? Possibly. And possibly all the people that I've had conversations with because they ask questions and it's... it's comes none from, of their, no, no, it's none of their no business. No one's business. No, it is. Yeah, no, you're it's right. It's literally... No one's business. What you and Helen decide to do as a couple from an intimacy point of view is no one... It only becomes anyone's business if people are being exploited, coerced, abused, etc. I mean, you know, it is so not anyone's business. I can't even find a word to describe how much it's irrelevant. And if people ask you that, I know you're an open book and I know you want to be really honest and share your story and give people hope and I respect you for that. But you also have my permission to say to people, I understand your curiosity, but you'll understand why I don't wish to answer you. Yeah, yeah. Which is a polite way of saying, mind your own bloody business. Yeah. The interesting thing is the private bit of this... The bit that no one has to know about apart from you and Helen, because frankly, it is no one else's business, is the bit that you really struggle with. Yeah. And that's because the person that you are the most worried about judgment from is? Myself. 100%. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. You don't have to announce this to the world. No. You just have to be okay with it for yourself. And if you enjoy it, Without putting too fine a point on it, genital stimulation is genital stimulation. An orgasm is an orgasm. You know, if you're with someone you care about, you found a way to make it work, enjoy it. That's fair. That's good. I see your confidence. I see little sparks (laughs) there. Yeah, no, I think that, yeah, yeah. What are you thinking? I'm just trying to assimilate it and see whether I feel at home with that concept. I don't, um, I don't or, think we can answer that question yet. Yeah, okay. I don't, but I think you're putting pressure on yourself to be at home with something in the way you didn't put pressure on yourself to be at home with the transitioning process. Yeah. You said to me, I took it one day at a time and you got to where you are now Yeah. and it's good for everyone. Sex and intimacy doesn't automatically follow. No. That's a whole separate strand. So you kind of got to give yourself permission to go through that process as well. In my head, I'm conscious that I know that um, this is something which I would just be doing for me, maybe me and maybe Helen, but all the other things that I did, I did because it was helping other people too. And the children. And the children too, yeah, that's right. 
And I suppose it's recognising that's okay to make it just about me. A hundred percent. Now it's your turn. And I encourage you to to take the time to have the conversation, to just put the cherry on the cake. Yeah. Thank you. When you first came in here, it's interesting because lots of people come in here going, I'm not quite sure what I want to get out of it, but you knew. I know how I felt and I know how desperate it was. Um, And I never thought I would get where I am. I didn't even want to contemplate getting where I am now at that point. But it is more than all right. You know, it's better than I could have hoped, you know, certainly better than I would have dreamed. And I just hope that... Yeah, I really want somebody out there who's desperately struggling. You know, it's not wrong that you're struggling and all those feelings are real, um, but it can get better. How wonderful. Um, So how interesting you chatted and just at the last minute, Uh, Joanna asked about intimacy. I think all of us who have been in long-term relationships do go, hold on, can we have a conversation about intimacy? It was very interesting what you said. I don't think we're very good at talking about intimacy. Um, I think even if we can talk to our kids about it and hopefully give them a strong sense of sort of understanding and direction and support and, and... being able to be assertive and say no when they need to and all that sort of stuff, which I think, you know, as parents is is part of our role in preparing them to be independent adults. Um, I don't know, is it a generational thing? I don't know, but I think we're less good at it. And I can't tell you, Claude, the number of couples I meet where the marital issues often stem around the fact that intimacy has just kind of died i see intimacy and i'm not i'm not talking about sex per se i'm talking about intimacy is the oxygen of a relationship in the sense that you know we can be mates we can be friends you know we can be co-parents we can do all of that stuff but intimacy is just about us it's just about the something that glues us together and makes us a couple and i think that can be neglected in a relationship and the neglect can then lead to a resentment, an embarrassment, an inability to know how to talk about it. And that's when, you know, problems start to set in. It's the cement, isn't it? That's what I call it. Yeah, absolutely. But again, it's not about sex no, per se. You no, know, it's, it's just about being together, being close, being intimate. Yeah. Tell me about the method. So the Sensate Focus Method is basically helping people to take the anxiety out of the process of sexual reconnection or intimacy reconnection um it doesn't have to end with you know a sexual activity but it has to enable people to sort of grow the intimacy back to a place where they both feel comfortable and often what we find with couples who are struggling with intimacy is that in the sort of anxiety and interestingly embarrassment people who've been naked in front of each other for x number of years and had children and all of that stuff suddenly feel really coy and shy It's about sort of saying, forget all that. Go on dates, have a laugh, hold hands, you know, have a bit of a kiss when you think no one's looking, have a hug. Stuff that just 
was how it all began. Yes. And sometimes when you lose your way, the best thing to do is go back to the beginning again and just sort of re-experience those early, fun, flirty, furtive moments. Can I throw in this word? Hmm? Necking. That makes you old. I am old. I'm 47. Yeah, necking, that's interesting. God, I remember that word. Do you remember when you just kiss and they sort of lick your neck and then your parents go, isn't it time to do your homework? That never happened to me, Claude. Did lick your neck? Does he still lick your... Oh, no, don't. I don't want that image in my head. I do not want that image in my head. He does, Tom. He does. (laughs) And you know him well. (laughs) Alrighty. Just a quick note that if you haven't already, please click on the subscribe button and you'll receive free episodes the minute they're ready. And please do rate, comment and share. If you're interested in taking part in future episodes of How Did We Get Here, please email parenting at somethingelse.com. That's parenting at something, without a G, else.com. Next time, we meet Max and Anna. There's something about her that makes you both quite anxious. Yeah, <laughs> terrified of her. Mm. No, I'm joking, we're not, but... But you are a bit, I think. It's almost like you eggshell it around her sometimes. Yeah, I think that's, yeah, I think I think that's do, fair. Yeah. This podcast was possible with the help of the following people at Something Else. The sound and mix engineer is Josh Gibbs, the assistant producer is Hannah Talbot, the producer is Selena Ream, and the executive producer is Chris Skinner, with additional production from Steve Ackerman. Thank you very much to Joanna and to Helen who gave her permission for sharing their story. Also from Something Else. Katie Piper's Extraordinary People. Join Katie for a series of powerful and inspirational conversations with people who have triumphed over adversity. With guests including Fern Cotton. And what about when you get really lazy journalism? So like people that draw just one line, they take it out of context. And that's really sad because... It is, it is. And I've also been on the receiving end of it so, Mm. so many times. Sometimes to really tragic levels for me where I've really not felt able to cope with it. Yeah. Zoe Sugg and Nadia Hussein. I think the the thing with women, firstly, is that women sometimes don't always like to see other women succeed. Mm -hmm. I I I think that's right, yeah. Yeah, and and I think there's a lot of that, and I think that's why just... It's really hard sometimes, because in the last four years, I've changed so much. Mm. Listen now in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and all good podcast apps.